Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge on sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Welcome to today's episode, and today we are delving into a topic excuse me, that has the potential to transform your life and unlock your full potential. And I'm losing my voice, Ben. You're going to be doing all the talking. We will be talking, <laughs> seriously, about the daily success system that was taught to Ben by the legendary Dr. Napoleon Hill. And the daily success system, and he's talked to me about this many times before, is a powerful tool that has helped countless people achieve success in their lives and their careers. It's all about setting goals, creating a plan of action, pay attention to that, create a plan of action, and consistently working towards those goals every day. So in this episode, we're going to be exploring those principles and how you can apply them to your own life to achieve the success you desire. And we're going to be discussing some of the key elements of the system, goal setting, visualization, positive thinking. So if you're ready to unlock your full potential and achieve the success you've always dreamed in, Let's dive in. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Denise. You uh, sort of sound like Lauren Bacall today, so it's okay. For those, <laughs> you, you people are old enough to know who Lauren Bacall is. <laughs> she had a very sexy, raspy, throaty uh, voice, and, and today you've got it. So I'm sorry if you're <laughs> suffering, but we men, among us, <laughs> we men among us are enjoying it. I have to tell you, I never, I rarely, almost never go listen to my own episodes because every time I accidentally hear my own voice, I do this whole body free song because I think I sound like Marilyn Monroe saying, happy birthday, Mr. President. I think I sound ridiculous. <laughs> so I'll take Lauren Bacall. That's much better. Yeah, there is a similarity between Marilyn and that how Jack and Jackie went back to the White House and didn't kill one another after that performance by Marilyn, I don't know. I know. <laughs> I guess she was. And I think it. I sound that silly. So <laughs> there you have it. Listen, we've got, I mean, you, you and I have talked about the daily success system before. And to some degree, I have implemented it. But I'm not entirely sure that I ever had the whole system so I'm scribbling, I'm writing down notes, and I'm going to be doing what I'm told, which, as you know, is very, very rare. <laughs> yeah, I haven't experienced that, but I'm sure that from time <laughs> to me. time, you do what you're told. <laughs> oh, I don't. I fight with my NAS system. She is not the boss of me. <laughs> well, I'm ready when you are. Tell me how you'd like to approach this. Just start talking. I mean, if you can just go off the top of your head and tell us why we need to use this powerful tool and how, it, I mean, where you learned it. Dr. Napoleon Hill taught it to you. Let's start there because your stories about him are, to my mind, just absolutely fascinating. Well, super. He'd be pleased that we're talking about him 50, 52, 53 years later after he passed. Because uh, he told me many times he sincerely believed that he and his work would soon be forgotten, which I find amusing as I see all the Napoleon Hill stuff. Bob Proctor, who never met him, uh, built a career around him. Another friend of mine is doing a 15-week series on the teachings of Dr. Napoleon Hill. Uh, he was born after Dr. Hill died. <laughs> so. I guess if you get a copy of the book, you're off and running. But Dr. Hill really didn't believe that 50-plus years later, 
he he would be in in some ways I think more popular and better known than he was in life. So this is sort of his third career when uh, thinking the law of success came out, but it was overpriced, especially for its time, right as the depression broke and uh, too thick. He, he said anybody that told him they read the law of success would lie about other things. And uh, <laughs> he had a full understanding of that. And I, as his last protege, will tell you I've never read it all. I've thumbed through it. I've read sections and so on. But Thinking Grow Rich pretty much wrapped it up. He, he made the, as he, he and I discussed in different words, he made the same mistake Earl Nightingale made in 1937, 38, whenever it was. Got wrote Thinking Grow Rich and then spent the rest of his life trying to top it and was never able to. Earl Nightingale in 1956, another friend of mine who worked with us, uh, wrote and recorded uh, The Strangest Secret and spent the rest of his career trying to top it, and he never could. So, uh, Yeah, you mentioned uh, that to me the other day. While yeah, I've got you on victories. the subject, go ahead, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I was going to say early uh, victories are good, but sometimes they're a curse. Yeah, and I've seen that happen. While I've got you on the subject of of, uh, Earl Nightingale, tell the story that you shared with me not so long ago when he, you know, because you and I were talking about how he was able to just do a one and done. If you wanted him to record something, you had him for one time and that was it. But this one one episode didn't quite work out that way. I t- when well, you told me that story, I think I shared this with you at the time. I snorted cold tea across my desk, hit the cat in the <laughs> face, and had to clean off my keyboard. Earl was a very sophisticated gentleman, and uh, uh, he was fun, but he took himself seriously as probably he should have. And uh, so there are little background stories. He was on on radio. He was the voice of Sky King, a very popular radio show and later television show on television. Sky King was played by somebody else. And that funny story about uh, Earl, which is sort of a setup to the the story you ask about, he uh, his partner came in and said they want you to go out dressed as a cowboy go out to the airport and then they'll taxi you in like you just landed and uh, the adoring crowd will cheer you on and Earl says I'm not I'm not dressing as a cowboy and going anywhere and so Lloyd Conant explained to him that they needed the business that they couldn't afford to have him not be Sky King and so he was going to get dressed as a cowboy and go out to the airport so he did and it was a low wing uh, plane, single engine as best I recall, but low wing where you step out on the wing when you get out. And the adoring crowd was there as he pulled up with his cowboy hat on and his little sort of Roy Rogers outfit on, uh, not a working cowboy, but a go-to-town cowboy. And he opened the door, climbed out on the wing, waved to the little kiddies, and started forward. Well, Earl was from Chicago. He uh, really wasn't a cowboy deep down inside. So he didn't know the significance of don't hook your spurs together in the back. But he did. And he promptly fell off the wing in a heap onto the tarmac, onto the runway. And uh, the adoring crowd ran forward to make sure he wasn't dead. But he was... He not only wasn't dead, he had tar on him and gravel on him and so on. He said it was, uh, he told uh, Lloyd, the next time they call with getting the cowboy outfit, the answer is no, don't even come ask me about it. So he stuck with that. Fast forward, uh, late 60s, I'm guessing, 66, 67, he was not only the voice of my company's Holiday Magic Cosmetics and Stay Power, we made him the voice of every company and just altered the script a little bit. Uh, he was also the voice of Beltone Hearing Aids. And uh, they were a big outfit, still are, I guess. Uh, and he did their voiceovers and he did, uh, they sponsored his little radio program, a five-minute thing he did called Our Changing World. And so they were very, very good to him. And uh, back to the one read thing, 
Earl was one of those guys. You could hand him a sheet of paper. You hand him the New York phone book, and he would sit down and read it flawlessly and make it interesting. Hand him a script. He didn't need to go over it. Uh, might if he had a few extra minutes, you know, to scan over it, but it wasn't required. He would just sit down and do it. And in one take, 99% of the time, his engineer who worked with him by the time that they ended, was worked with him for 40 years, had therefore gotten spoiled. He would uh, flip on the switch, give the signal through the glass to Earl, and Earl would go off. And when Earl quit talking, the guy would flip the switch back and they'd press the records or put it out on the radio or whatever. And he, I asked him one time, do you not find what Earl is saying interesting? He said, oh, no, I find it very interesting, but I've heard the message. You know, there's only so much you can say about personal development. And uh, so he said, I've heard the message thousands of times, so I really don't feel the need to zero in on it every time. So uh, uh, Lloyd Conant brings Earl the, the Christmas message for their Beltone hearing aid families. And uh, it's Earl sat down. As he was sitting down, he glanced at the script, and I'm making up words, but it was one of those, hi, this is Earl Nightingale, and Beltone, uh, hearing aids, and I want to wish you fairies dancing in your house and snow in your hair and so on. And Earl said, looked at it and said, uh, I'm not reading this crap. And Lloyd explained to him, like he did in the Sky King lecture, that they needed the money. They weren't going to lose Beltone, and yes, he was going to read it as written. So uh, I'm back in Chicago. There was this thing called Flexi Records. They, they were literally flexible, made by a company called Evatone in Chicago. And the VPs of sales at Nightingale Conant wanted me to buy them. In addition, everything else we were buying from Nightingale and uh, use them. You know, one little record would be a recruiting message since it was hard to get people to recruit people people properly, get them to hand them this record and let Earl recruit them. And then after the uh, meeting, or get them to come to the meeting, after the meeting, post-sell them, have Earl post-sell them and so on. But it was all based around these little flexi records. So I'm back in Chicago at their office. And uh, I said, uh, they said, well, let me show you how it works. Well, I looked at them. The record was square. In the middle, it was, the, the grooves were circular, but the record itself was square. You could rip, put it in a magazine, rip it out, stick it on a player. I'd never seen one, never heard one. I said, are those things, what is the sound quality? And they said, oh, it's great. Don't worry about it. And I said, well, how do I hear one? And they said, we've got 10,000 uh, copies right out here in the hall waiting for the, the pickup people going out to the Beltone folks. Uh, let me get one of those. So one of them runs out and pulls out a copy of the record and uh, folds it back the way you did it and stuck it on the player and started playing. And the quality of it was, the sound quality was very good. Earl sounded like Earl. If I didn't know better, I, was think, I would think I was listening to a 33 and a third hard record, and uh, but I wanted to hear what Earl did for them. So he, as ordered, was doing the script that they had written and sent, and this deep godlike voice says, good evening, or good, you know, good morning, whatever. This is Earl Nightingale, and uh, to the Beltone family, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and maybe it's fairies dance in your living room and the snow do this and, and so on. And uh, then at the very end of the recording, there's a little pause, and then you hear Earl say, Jesus Christ, what a crock of shit. <laughs> the two Davis boys, Les and Ron Davis, looked at each other like deers in the headlight. I reckon they, they did. Yeah, and one of them threw his body over the record player like that would make the problem go away. And uh, they then somebody else ran out in the hallway and threw their body over the 10,000 records so nobody picked them up and took them anywhere and mailed them to the Bell's own hearing aid family. And uh, uh, 
the problem was solved. Well, that night or the next night at dinner, we're all out, Earl's uh, and his wife are there. And uh, he's telling the story about what almost happened. I'm telling the story about what did happen and, and so on. And Earl said, thank God to Ron and, and Les, they got all the records. And there was this pause. And I said, uh, all but one. And he said, what? And I said, well, the one they were playing me. Uh, I put it in my briefcase and uh, it, it's mine. And he said, Ben, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. And I said, well, as we're, next time we negotiate a big purchase, Earl, uh, this the subject of this recording will come up. <laughs> and I, I think I told you the other day, somewhere in the office or the warehouse or the storage area, somewhere, it's in a white cart cardboard cover, is Earl Nightingale's Christmas message to Bell's Own Hearing Aids, the only record that survived uh, the experience. And he went to his grave Every, every time I talked to him, I talked to him several times after he retired to, to Arizona. I said, oh, remember, for your, that's your eulogy. Uh, when you croak, I may bring the record and play it. <laughs> and he said, when, when I'm gone, I don't care. He doesn't care. Who knew you were going to grow up to be a blackmailer? I'm so proud of you. Yeah, I, thank you very much. Yeah. I, I never really cashed in on it, but I always enjoyed knowing I could. Earl well, did, not yeah. want, did not want the unedited version of that Christmas recording going anywhere. I've had no, no. people I've talked to over the years, coached and mentored some of them. I've had I've told them the story, and they've said in so many words, different ways, how much. So <laughs> you, you, how much? <laughs> I got the impression that that little eighty cent record I could get. I don't know at the time ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for it. Oh, send it to Sotheby's and let's see what you get. Yeah. Oh, that so is that's the Earl Nightingale Beltone hearing aid story. And Earl and uh, Dr. Hill were by coincidence at the office in San Rafael, California probably two or three times at the same time, and they were both house guests whenever they were out. So I've had Earl and uh, and, and Dr. Hill together for long weekends, oh, I don't know, three or four times, and people say, what was it like? They're all thinking of, you know, monk-like people sitting around in bathrobes saying profound things to one another. And I said, there are two things that I could take away from that. One, neither one of them could shoot pool. I mean, they were the worst two players on the planet. I was sort of playing customer golf, or, you know, customer pool, where you let people win. If I had played until, until one of them beat me, we'd still be playing. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been allowed to die. We'd still be shooting pool in, San, in my house in San Rafael. They were just horrible. And the other little thing that I rarely talk about, but they're both gone, Earl didn't like, I don't know about Dr. Hill, he didn't say anything, but Earl didn't like uh, Dr. Hill, didn't really respect him. Um, You're kidding. Yeah, there was something between them, I don't know what the problem was, Uh, they were always very courteous to each other, they were both gentlemen, but off the record and off to the side, uh, at least Earl didn't like Dr. Hill, maybe they didn't like each other, I don't know might have been rivalry, you know, they're each suppliers to our company and they each have my attention on the young kids. Maybe it's like two fathers, you know, fighting over the kid. I really don't know. But that was a little, not being able to shoot pool, which is always a good way to, you know, kill time and uh, so on. Uh, I had a big game room with a professional pool table and so on. In the dullest of times, that was a a social break that was wonderful, but it didn't work with those two. It was like they were shooting with broomsticks. That's how I play pool. In fact, I get so cranky about it that I'll just pick up the ball, put it in the little net thing and leave. I don't enjoy it at all. (laughs) Okay, I'm done. Anybody want some gumbo? It would have cut a lot of time off my schedule if one of them had done that. I didn't think of it, but yeah. 
you either like it or you don't. I haven't played for yeah. years, but I, I enjoy it. It's sort of fun. So anyway, that's that on the Earl Nightingale. I hope I haven't run off our audience by quoting him directly. Usually if I tell that story, I proceed uh, 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 in advance. I say, if you're easily offended, <laughs> you may not want to listen to the rest of this before I say exactly what Earl said. My audience is not easily offended, trust me. They're okay. smart, bright, articulate people, aren't you guys, all of y'all? So let's let's go. Um, I love that story. And I didn't even know about the first one, so thank you. So let's talk about the daily success system because, honestly, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. I already did, so I might as well you know, recap on it. I've got part of it in play, but I don't have the whole thing. And at this point, I don't. I am so stinking busy that, and even though I don't sleep a whole lot, I'm now catching myself. Where can I sleep? Uh, you know, just shave mm-hmm. off thirty minutes. Do I need that extra thirty minutes? Well, yeah. When I fall down, sleep on the couch for no good reason. I must need some more sleep. Or but, on your desk. Yeah, or sit back in my chair. I've, yeah, I've done that too. And I'm not one for napping, but the other day I was telling this to David Brown this morning. I caught myself, you know, I went to the couch. And I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, read a little bit or I'll go do some research with my iPad. And I have big iPads, I have the big pros. And somehow, instead of sitting, I wound up, you know, laying on the couch with my head on the, the what you call it, the armrest. And I only woke up because my iPad, my, I mean, it hit me in the nose. I'm surprised I didn't wake up with a bruised face. I didn't even know I'd, I'd gone to sleep. So when that happens to me, you know, I've just got too much on my plate. So I need your help. Well, I'll be happy to share with you what he shared with me. I, I made a couple of notes, but not a script, random thoughts of how it came together, because it wasn't all one day. So I'll give it to you in pieces, but sort of the way the story goes. Dr. Hill was hired to be, my, as you know, my personal mentor. I was his last mentee, one of his few, because he didn't like doing that type of work. But uh, the owner of the company, uh, the first year, paid him enough where he would act like he did like me. <laughs> I, I, I paid him the second That's $50, year. $50,000, wasn't it? Yeah, $50,000 in 1967 dollars. That's about a half a million. So for half a million, you can probably pretend to like anybody. And and that uh, was how Dr. Hill and I came together. William Penn Patrick, the owner of Holiday Magic, hired him. Uh, Having made me president of the company when I was 25, I think he probably rethought it and said, maybe he needs a little adult supervision. So we hired Dr. Hill to be my mentor, coach whatever we call it in those days, and uh, made it a, made a pledge. Dr. Hill won't come to me with any of your concerns or worries or weaknesses and so on. What you do with him is just between the two of you. And I tested that theory because I didn't believe it, but it was true. I planted some stories and then covered myself in case Dr. Hill told him and, and Bill Patrick went nuts. I had letters in place in his secretary's desk telling him you've been you've been duped. <laughs> that that wasn't true. We're not really planning a coup and so on. And uh, so, but when the when I left the business and a few years later it went out of business, I am confident when they hauled out Marion McGinnis's desk in the top drawer was my letter that was never handed to Bill. I had told her if he explodes and starts yelling cuss words and my name in the same sentence, hand him this letter. If Dr. Hill is in town or, or has just called him. So, but it never happened. He was straightforward and honest. So one day, uh, as I said, this would be sort of scattered. I was talking to Dr. Hill. He was in my office and uh, um, he said something semi-profound or something I was, should remember and do. And I said, that's good. And uh, we went on to something else. He said, whoa, whoa, that, that really is important. I said, well, yeah, it, I know. I'm not going to forget it. He said, yes, you are. Uh, there's too much stuff going on in anybody's life. And in your life, things are swirling. I was like in the middle of a tornado all the time. 
And uh, he, he said, there's not a remote chance you'll remember that or the last 15 things I told you. So he turns around and yells out at my executive assistant. So I used to call her a secretary, but looking back, she ran the company uh, without letting me know what was really going on <laughs> to uh, Marty Connolly. And he says, Marty, could you get Mr. Gay some memo pads? So she went and got a, a packet, you know, of, of legal pads. And later we added the smaller one that looks just like a legal pad, but it's, I don't know, six by nine or something. I said, get him some of those, please, and a supply of pens. So she brought them in. He said, now, again, he told me what he just told me. He said, write it down. And uh, so I wrote it down. He said, uh and now what are you going to do with it when you find it tomorrow? And I said, oh, well, it'll be right here in the memo pad. He said, no, we got some serious work to do. And that was sort of the beginning of teaching me uh, the daily success system that we sort of developed together, but I wouldn't have developed it on my own without his help. So he said uh, somewhere in those first few meetings, he said, let's discuss you uh, figuring out how you're going to replace yourself so you can move up in the organization to show you how naive and and, uh, goofy I was at age 25. I said, oh, good idea, because I wanted to move up in the organization. I was already president. I know. The company. Yeah, I'm like, hang on a sec. Yeah, yeah, so sort of short of killing William Penn Patrick, there really wasn't a whole lot of place to go. I appointed the presidents and all the other companies and so on. But I wasn't bright enough to ask him about that. So he said, here's what we're going to do. I want you to write down. He said, let's work it out, and I want you to make it tough on him. Write down what the person who replaces you ought to do every day, minimum, and and be tough on him. You know, we've, got, we've got to find somebody who's good enough, you know, to put up with the pressure, including, he said, write down those things that you really don't want to do and maybe aren't doing because he'll, he'll be salaried and he'll have to do what you said. So I said, all right, this is sort of exciting. And we spent several hours writing things on the list, scratching things out, rewording them, and so on, so that this poor guy, when he came in, would sit down and uh, know what he's supposed to do that day, plus the variables, of course. And when we finally agreed, we have the document, he called Marty, and he said, could you type this up in uh, larger caps or all caps or whatever? So uh, she did. She comes back in, he takes the list, and he writes on the top of it, Ben Gay's Daily Success System. Spun it around and said, now that's what you do when you come in tomorrow. And I thought, oh, I have been suckered. (laughs) These are the things (laughs) I have to do, not the uh, idiot who's going to take my place. So that was how the, the rough part of the success system worked out. And then to color it in a little bit, one day he said to me, I know exactly where I was standing, uh, with uh, by Marty's desk. And he came in from the back somewhere, and, and he said, uh, busy as you are. And he'd been up the house, and he knew my wife. She's since passed away, but he knew my wife, and he knew my son, and, and many of our friends. And he said... Uh, busy as you are and you're on the road and doing this and doing that, how do you uh, uh, fit in family time? And he was very sensitive to that because Dr. Hill had never had, uh, if there's anybody still alive in his family, I apologize to them, but he'd never had a happy family relationship with anybody. He was divorced uh, two or three times and annulled marriage and so on and uh, had problems with the kids. And uh, so he was fascinated with family life. And when he was at, at our home, I'd catch him just staring at us. He'd stare, Marsha was her name, and then stare back at me and so on. I said, well, so the, the question was, how do you handle your family life? And I said, well, I think I do a pretty good job. I, I fit family into all the nooks and crannies. Him just noticing how busy I was. And uh, I said, uh, and he said, well, we found the problem. I said, what's the problem? I didn't know there was a problem. 
He said, you're fitting family into the nooks and crannies. I want you to start fitting business into the nooks and crannies. Uh Family comes first. Yes. And and I'm sort of thinking, yeah, well, that's easy for you to say. You're not running this (laughs) this insane asylum. By that time, we were in 20 countries and five major companies all using the same marketing plan and so on, but still five different companies in 20 countries and several languages. And now I'm going to just fit that in between family time. But he went on to explain it further on the memo pad, by the way, uh, he told me with the little pads, the six by nines, I'm going to call them, uh, to put one in every room that I frequented with a pen clipped to it, every every room. He said, now when you have an idea and so on, write it down. Uh, If it's a reminder or a fresh idea, write it down. And then in the morning, you go around to all the places you've been and peel off the top page or two or whatever. And then that we're going to put that in your success system. In addition to all the stuff we just uh, put in the daily system. So that capturing ideas had a major effect on my life. One, I captured ideas. Two, the brain, I'm not a human behavioral scientist, but the brain seems to, does with me, and I've heard it from many other people, when you're not trying to remember 15 things and you don't have to remember them because you wrote them on the pad, the mind gets freed up and comes up with more ideas. It doesn't have room, apparently, to do all that while it's trying to remember the last 15. We had a three-day holiday uh, not too long ago we'll call it 4th of July, I really don't remember what it was. Uh, So there were three days I didn't go to the office, but I kept coming up with ideas and writing them down. And uh, by the time the weekend was over, Monday I went around and started pulling off notes in every room I'd been in. And I had 70, I think I'm quoting from memory, but 72 new ideas or reminders. Now, you're smarter than I am, Denise. But I'm uh-uh. not smart. I, I doubt. I doubt if you're smart enough either to remember 72 things if they hadn't been written down. So, oh, I can't uh, remember why I'm in the refrigerator. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Who does it? <laughs> I was looking. You go over there, and that's an immediate. You know, I go into to the refrigerator. I stick my face in there deliberately because that's how I meditate. It's the only time my brain is just wiped clean. <laughs> <laughs> Try the freezer. I bet that's even more effective. Well, it's down by the floor. It's, you know, it's not, I can't go down I there. Looking, I was looking for my car keys one day, and I must have said something out loud where a niece who was visiting heard me. I, I wasn't with anybody, I didn't think. I was just probably grumbling. And she yelled down from upstairs, Uncle Ben, have you looked in the refrigerator yet? And I said, I hope you have that sparkling sense of humor when they read my will. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Your place in it just uh, changed, but then quietly but they were I in the refrigerator. Re- <laughs> quietly, I opened the refrigerator just to be sure I hadn't put them in there. So anyway, nooks and crannies was where we sort of took a side road. Uh, let's take care of the family first. So he, you like you guys like to go over to the coast, which I, uh, Gigi and I, my current wife, last wife. Uh, still like to go over to the rugged Northern California coast, which is from Big Sur up almost to the Oregon border. I just get such relaxation and peace out of that. And I said, yeah, he said, you go up there for a couple of weeks? I said, no, I can't do a couple of weeks. What we do is four days. We go in on Wednesday night, spend all day Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then come back Monday morning. So we have four unfettered days at the coast, and we like to do that at least once a year. And he said, how's four times a year sound? And I said, well, it sounds good. And he said, well, get out your calendar, which he'd made me get before just, just before that. My calendar, I can actually give you the, the type in case one of our listeners wants to get it. It's a standard daily uh, diaries, pardon me, at a glance. Standard Diary, Daily Reminder, code number 389. And if their phone number jumps out at me, I will give it to you. 
Well, where you can go is atagance.com slash reorder. I guess they'll let you order for the first time there, too. Uh, But the trick is, the one he gave me, which probably wasn't this one, it's like a hymnal, about the size of a hymnal. When you open it up, you have on the left one full day blank with just lines, none of the little bitty squares that restrict you. A full page with, I'm guessing, 35, 40 lines on it uh, for writing in what you can do that day. And on the opposite page, of course, is the next day. And he said, so what we're going to start doing is this diary is going to become your most valuable thing. You you will not ever want to take it out of your office or whatever. You need to do get something out of it for the weekend, make a photocopy. Don't this get out of your hands because when you're working it properly, it'll become your life. So back to the long weekends. He said, now, uh, get Marsha on the phone if you want, but let's block out four of those long weekends right now. And I said, well, we, you know, sort of when they come up. He said, no, they don't come up often enough. So we're not going to do it when they come up. We're going to do it now. Four, plus travel, four days at the coast, four times a year. And I don't know what month we were in, but we did one for like two weeks out. And then we did another one three weeks, uh, three months out and so on. And we blocked out those. He said, now those days are sacrosanct. You don't do anything else on those days. You don't schedule a meeting. You don't have come up, have people come up to the coast and meet with you. <laughs> this is for you, your wife, and your son, and relaxation. And so block it out and X out the rest of that page after you've made the note pages. So I did that. And he said, good. And he said, now, how often do you go out to dinner? And I said, well, uh, Frequently, uh, entertaining other people, you know, people always in town. He said, no, how often do you and your wife go out to dinner? And I said, well, I, you know, I really don't know. He said, well, you sort of got to know. What night would be best, do you think? He said, all these things can be altered as time goes on, moved around, whatever. What night would probably be best? I said, well, Friday night would be the logical one. He said, write down Friday night. And I was having to highlight everything. Because when I look at my calendar and I see something highlighted, that means an hourly thing and nothing interferes with it. For instance, today at 10 a.m., highlighted in yellow, Denise show. And therefore, nothing else, obviously, would go in there. And then a further note about roughly what we were going to discuss based on the last time we talked. So I don't have to remember. I'm always hearing people say, you know, I... I plan my uh, my day tomorrow, the night before, and I think, how can you do that? I, the example I just gave you, I plan four-day weekends plus travel, uh, six days of time, four times a year, a year in advance. And and I don't have to think about it. If Gigi says, you know, when's the next time we're going to the coast? I I don't know. Look in the calendar. Because there it is, highlighted in yellow, nothing else written on the page at all, ever. We then blocked out Friday night dinner. Now, we might go out other times. We might go out with other people, you know, all sorts of other things. But Friday night dinner was with her, and currently it's with Gigi, uh, is sacrosanct. But we just don't do anything other than take that time together. And then he began showing me how to frame my day uh, we didn't have podcasting and Zoom and, and all that in those days, but we had similar things, uh, you know, people coming in for the sales meeting or what have you. So I blocked out based on, I, and again, these things may not have been what we did 50 years ago, but the concept is the same. I might have shoved something around or moved it back or expanded it by an hour. But the days I'm available for uh, variables is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday with start times between 10 a.m. in the morning and 3 p.m. 3 p.m. start time means you might go on to 4 or 5 or whatever, but the start is no later than 3 p.m. 
it'd be like a, a, a barber. I was talking to my barber a few, a few barbers ago and a few years ago. And I walk in, and he's asleep in his chair. His first appointment was at, let's say, 10 that morning, and I'm there at 1.30. And he didn't have anything in between. And I said, you should have told me that you were doing one at 10, and you'd be done by 11 and make me 11 o'clock. And he said, well, you said 1.30. I said, I said 1.30 without any concern about your day. I thought you were smart enough to run your day. So here's Ow. what we're going to do. We're going to show, we're going to have days that you cut hair. It wasn't busy enough to be, you know, five days a week. So let's fill up Monday first and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and so on. And sometimes they just can't take the next slot. You might have to move it out an hour, but if, if they, if they can do it any more than that, move them to another day, you control your day. So I control podcasts, for instance, and sales meetings that I monitor for other people and so on. They have to be Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, start time 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And other than that, it takes an act of God to get me to take anything outside of that because I'm busy with other stuff. The day's already filled in since the day since the daily success system works so well. I don't do them weekends because I don't work on weekends. I'm available for a phone call. But I don't work on weekends, period, Saturday, Sunday, or for Gigi and me. And uh, Monday is always busy. You've got a weekend of backup traffic. And Friday, uh, I have other things on my mind. I'm still working. I'm still working the daily success system, but I got one foot out the door. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 10 to 3 is when I've box my other time it also doesn't leave me sitting like my barber with three hours between appointments even within the 10 to 3 if i book somebody at 10 then and somebody else wants to come in on that same day they're going to be at 11 or 11 30 whatever i figure uh, the first one's going to take up so you begin to run your day instead of the day running it you know what if people don't like that uh because I don't know all of our listeners, uh, I'll just say, too bad. I had another thought in mind. I know you did. I could see it (laughs) hovering over your head. (laughs) This is Ben Gay can't control the world, but he can control his schedule and about 20 feet around him at any given time wherever he's standing. And that's good enough. If you're outside the 20-foot circle, I don't care what you're up to. And if it doesn't interfere with my daily schedule, I don't care. Now, then in the calendar, you also insert those things that are everyday or routine. And that would pretty much be that first list Dr. Hill and I put together. And you could print it out and have copies and just stick it in your calendar. I prefer and do to write it in. There's some things, four things that I do every day without fail usually early in the morning, but they're not time sensitive. I write them in my calendar by hand for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then I put a little bracket that all of those items, if you were looking at my calendar, it would say dash M slash U next week. That's move up next week. Therefore, before I cross out Friday and all those things, and the move up thing, I move it up to next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now, some people say, you know, why don't you just print it out and do that way? I find that if I think about it, those four things or five things or whatever change from time to time. I've crossed one out the other day. I've been moving up for months, maybe years, that I don't really do. I, I write it down. It comes up, and I go, oh, I don't need to do that. And just the other day, I got up my gumption and crossed it out permanently. It's not going to be part of my move-up thing. So looking at it fresh and being critical of it fresh uh, all the time is very helpful for me. And then your time in there, uh, other things like outgoing calls. I don't do cold calling anymore. I do, you know, people say, how do you prospect? I say, I answer the phone. <laughs> you know, or look yeah. at email. I've been at this long enough. 
Yeah, I've been at this long enough where I don't have to go chasing people around, thank God. But there are things that I want to, outgoing calls, I still put on the calendar, question mark, meaning it's time for that. Do you want to do it or not? So um, when I come in, as I did today, uh, to keep the show evergreen, I won't say what day it was, other than it was a Wednesday, because that's when I'm home with you. I don't have to wonder what's up. I just opened the calendar to Wednesday, and there were today 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 things to either do, be reminded, be reminded of, or make sure that they happen. And the second one down on the list, and it's, it's moved to the top every Wednesday because it's one of those things I now write in a month in advance, four Wednesdays in a row. So you've moved to the top slot. Um, oh, right. There, there it says 10 a.m., highlighted in yellow, Denise show, and then the subject we were probably going to discuss today. So I don't have to wonder, what do I do at 10 a.m., or what do I do next? As soon as I walk in, there it is, highlighted in yellow because it's time-sensitive. And the others I pretty much do as I look down. I look down and decide uh, Ivy Lee, the great efficiency expert from the 30s, said, you know, list the five most important things you have to do, then list them in their order of importance. That's probably some of where Dr. Hill got this idea. I don't number them in the order of their importance. That's sort of obvious. I'm a speed reader. If I look down, I, I see probably six lines at a time. I know which one it is. And it's what's next. And it's usually the one I want to do the least. <laughs> I don't know why. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm a speed reader as well. I can actually look at a page. You know, once I've read a couple of pages and go, okay, I want to finish this book because I have to know, is this interesting? And then by the time I get to the third or fourth page, I'm able to basically just focus on the middle of the page and read pretty much everything around it. I don't yeah, go cool. line to line, never have. Yep, yep. exactly right. I took uh, uh, Evelyn Wood's speed reading course years ago. And then another one by somebody else's name. And I haven't timed myself in years and probably have fallen off a bit. But back when I was really into it, partially because this is under, uh, pardon me, President Kennedy was known to be a speed reader. And I thought he was just wonderful. So Kennedy was speed reading. I was going to speed read. And I think he took the Evelyn Woods course. So I got up to 3,500 words a minute with over, I forget what it was, but over 90% comprehension. And as I said, See, I've I can read. Yeah, I read all the time. I'll read the back of a cereal box, and I don't eat cereal. If yeah, it's printed and it's in front of me, I'll read it. But I've been known to read four or five books in a weekend, and people are going, oh, you're pulling my leg. I'm not. Yeah, if I devote that much time to it, so would I. And the other thing, and this goes back to uh, Daily Success System, uh, I have, I'm sitting at my computer desk now. I have a, an executive desk where I sit when I'm an executive, but now I'm at my uh, computer desk. Here and at the other desk, I'm guessing, I'm not going to take time to count them, I'm guessing there are 40 books that I could reach out and touch without going anywhere. I don't have to stand up, don't have to lean over very far. At the other desk, there's probably another 40 books. Uh, then I have reading stacks. A new book goes on the bottom unless it's really compelling. And I read off the top uh, in my bathroom, the bathroom I personally use, in my bedroom, our bedroom on my side of the bed, in my briefcase, in the car, loose, uh, in the shipping area. Any place that I'm prone to spend time, you will find a, a memo pad, with a pen clip to it and a stack of books. So people say, I don't have time to read. I, I could follow the average person around with a stopwatch and show on and find 25 or 30 minutes every day that they could be reading. And the, the next <clears throat> trick, you don't want to buy a, a book from a bookstore if I had it first. I mark where I stopped reading. I put a, a ballpoint mark a, a, a slash above the next paragraph I'm supposed to read. And I have highlighter pens near every reading stack. 
and uh, the Bengay bookmarks that go out in every book. I probably use more than I send out because every book that's been opened has a bookmark stuck in it. So I don't waste time wondering where I was, not as far as the page I'm supposed to go to or the paragraph within the page. And then when I'm done with the book, uh, we have a decision to make. Do we give it away or does it go in the permanent files, which stay there until they get up to about 5,000 books? Then I give them away anyway. (laughs) I might pick out a few favorites. But since Gigi and I have been together, 25 years, I've given away 5,000 books four times, and we're coming up on another one where she said, Ben, the bookcases are filling up again. Uh, But when I'm done reading the book, I go back and read the highlighted things and again, and then make a decision. Does the book go to the library or to a garage sale or whatever? Or does it stay in the shelf for a few years before it becomes part of the next 5,000 that go to the uh, library? So it's I'm systematized, I guess, is a way to phrase what we're talking about. Everything, almost everything, is part of a system. Dr. Hill got me on plotting out even minor things. One day he's up at the house. I got up early. I didn't think he was up. I'm sitting out on the deck overlooking San Francisco Bay, feeling very good about myself, and trimming my toenails And he, in my bathrobe. He comes wandering around the corner with a cup of coffee, and he says, Ben, what are you doing? I said, I'm trimming my toenails. I said, they started to get hooked on the, in my socks, you know, when I was putting them on, so I noticed it was, it was time to trim them. And he says, you don't have that in your calendar? And I said, oh, no. He said, you, you know roughly how long it's been since you trimmed last time. It was about a month, I think. So he said, okay, go get your calendar. And I wrote in the calendar four, four weeks out from where we were, trim toenails, move up four weeks, question mark. Because when you get there, you got to see what's four weeks about right. If not, you make it five weeks or whatever. And I thought, Dr. Hale, I feel a little silly writing down, trim your toenails. He said, that's something you don't have to think about ever again. And it was on a Saturday. He said, when do you tend to trim your toenails? I said, well, usually Saturdays, home. Okay, so count out four Saturdays. So I have uh, uh, today, one of the things before us talking was feed the fish. We have a fish pond behind our guest house, and it would be easy to forget it. But the fish, it wasn't their fault. They got captured and put in it. So they get fed in addition to bugs and so on they find on their own. They get fed every Wednesday and Sunday. It's on my calendar. Feed fish, move up Wednesday. So some of the, I'm I'm doing the goofier ones to simplify it, to make people understand. That might also be cell company, refinance you know, something terribly important, but it all goes into the calendar, highlighted or not, asterisks, asterisks, <laughs> I have trouble with that word, uh, or not, to uh, somehow highlight it and make it more important. And I mean virtually everything. Yesterday, I said, Gigi, uh, I don't want to depress you, but your brother Wes died 24 uh, years ago today, and she predictably cheered up and told me two West stories, and then I flipped to the back page of the calendar. West died uh, April whatever uh, next year and uh, move up one year when you do it. So when I get my new calendar about halfway through this year, among the, I'll go to that back page. Wes's death will go in. I saw somebody else died recently. A good friend of ours died 12 years ago this coming Friday. So we'll tell his wife that we thought about it and we remember her and so on. So it, Gigi sometimes kids kids me when something like that comes up. And she says, is that like programmed warmth? You're known for being a very nice guy. Do they know it's written in the calendar? I said, I don't know. I, and I, nor do I care. It makes but if it it's more. important, exactly, and if yeah. it's important enough to be in the calendar, that's kind of enough said right there. That's right. That's right. And 
sensitive as Gigi is, every year I tell her Wes died uh, on that day. And every year she tears up because it hadn't crossed her mind. She remembers everybody's birthdays, but death days are a little different. Uh, so when I, when I tell her uh, June 15th, it is my father died uh, at age uh, 60, way too soon. And by coincidence, in a different year on the same day, we started the communication center business with the National Communication Center. This June, it'll be 47 years since we started the business, the industry, and 51 years since my father died. It just sort of keeps me in tune with what's going on, the important things, and so on. And, uh, and, And I don't miss dinner appointments. We went to dinner the other night with four couples at one of their houses, and we arrived one minute ahead of time, fashionably early. Everybody else arrived slightly later, and the sweet, goofy one among them, a, a lady, she and her husband arrived an hour later because they forgot. Oh. An hour. Now, fortunately, we're all good friends, and I didn't know they were coming, so it didn't bother me. But an hour later, and I'm thinking to myself, self, I bet she doesn't have a calendar. <laughs> now you know what to get her for Christmas. Yeah. Put it in her <laughs> Christmas stocking. That and the lesson on how to use it. So anyway, it's yeah. your fault for asking, but that's how I stumbled across and developed the daily success system and how much easier it's made my life. And see, I have to tell you, I do some of this. And when you said, when you mentioned the... um what was it, the at-a-glance, for years mm-hmm. I had those, and I still have them. They're in boxes in my, my office uh, closet. And you know what, Ben, and I bet you do this as well, I can pick those things up, and they can be 100 years old. I mean, they can go back mm-hmm. 20 years. I can read one sentence, and I'm back in that day. I remember yep. what happened. I almost remember, you know, that the, the pecan trees are blooming. I almost remember that the roses were just starting to bud out. Or I remember I really hated my office mate. I mean, who knows? But, yeah. you know, there, and you, you had used the word diary earlier, and they, in a way, are your diary. So I'm going, and what I did was I quit using those. I don't know why. I think because I am a techie nerd and, you know, I, I love my computers. I started using the online calendar, and the problem is you have to be in there to go find out what the heck you put in it. So that yeah. hasn't really worked for me. So I went to composition notebooks from the Dollar Tree, and I must have 50 of them unused, and I keep them, because but they're messy. I don't have any real system. So I'm heading to well, just, at a glance today. To I just gave it to you. I'm going to I'm going over there. So that's going to be my next thing. The the younger folks always say, "You know, you could do that all on computer." I can find things in my calendar quicker than they can find things in their computer because I know you know where I'm going, and when I open up the page, there's 15 things on that one page. And another part of it is the feeling of accomplishment. I write it in. I highlight it. And then I have those, I think they're called India markers, China markers, you know, where you peel down with the, with the string, you, you peel away yeah. the, the, the wrap, and it exposes, in essence, a black crayon. And I cross each thing out completely, cover it side to side, margin to margin, as I do it. And that gives me a great feeling of accomplishment. All the, when you and I hang up, all of the important, life will end if I don't do it, things will have been done. I've still got six or seven things uh, on the list. But I, when I glance down, it's a, you know, the day is almost over. It's almost all blacked out. And I per- personally prefer that. I'm one of those strange people, a hanging calendar in the kitchen. I put an X across each day that's gone, sort of glance as I walk into the kitchen. I know what day it is. I make a go, et cetera. And then the other day, uh, the, the month ended. And uh, Gigi happened to mention I would have done it. That's the reason the calendar's there. But Gigi mentioned 
uh, have you X'd out the day? Oh, no, the month, you're going to have to flip it to a new month. I said, okay. So I got out the marker pen and crossed out the last day of the month. She said, you're, you're going to throw the calendar out. I said, I like the thrill of Xing it out. It's an accomplishment. I would never take a calendar off the wall with uh, uh, un X days on it and throw it in the trash or flip through the next month. I truly enjoy winning, being patted on the head, and that does it for me. Some and I understand that. Some might, but you know, we're not going to pay attention <laughs> to that. But for, sometimes I will use colored um, cards. You know, the the line mm-hmm. ruled yeah. cards, and I'll go to the Dollar Tree again, and I'll pick them up, and I will write the three most important things that must be done. There's no prioritizing; they have to be done. And at the end of the day, I'm like you. I will scribble through it. I may have made notes on it. But when I'm done and I can exit out, I turn on the shredder. And I throw those poor little cards into the shredder because it's very cathartic. It's done. Yep. I totally agree with you. And if you get yourself back on it, sounds like you've been on it, but get yourself back on it. it yeah, I, yeah. So much stress. I got sloppy. There's no question. I mean, you ought to see these notebooks. I have one that is kind of sort of scribbled all the way through. I have another one where I started making notes. I don't even want to look at the ones that are in the container next to me. Because <laughs> oh, after a while, I'm sloppy. I'm scribbling. I'm in a hurry. And my system went straight down the drain. So I'm going to do exactly what you and, and Dr. Napoleon Hill say to do. And I am heading over. Listen, wh- the next time we talk, next Wednesday, I have a bunch of questions that started trickling in, and we we spoke about it a little bit in the virtual green room. Yeah, questions from other people about sales and, you know, how do they track and measure their success? What advice do you have? So if we can, let's tackle some of those questions and, and maybe get some people to say, hey, I've got questions too. And if you do, send them to us. I mean, you can find us all over the web, you know, find us on Facebook or LinkedIn, and just send us those questions, and, and I will get Ben to answer them. Super. I look forward to that. I love Q&A. And uh, so I have noted on my calendar, while you were saying it, that uh, next Wednesday at 10 a.m., and we're going to be discussing questions. Yeah, sales questions. People have them. Ben, thank you so much. I always love chatting with you. You know that. It was speaking of, you know, the markers and the crayons. The last thing we said in our last episode was we, I think you have a grease pencil or something like that. And I scribble on the bathroom walls with Crayolas, you know, bathroom crayons, because that's when my brain, my, you know, nothing's, your brain is not busy. You're just thinking, oh, this water feels so good. And then all of a sudden, I get God winks and I get these terrific ideas. If I tried to get out of there and run across to you know my office naked, screaming the whole way, I'd probably break <laughs> a hip. <laughs> so now I just scribble. I scribble well, on the bathroom wall. It works. Well, there's a pad uh, with a pen clip to it right outside the shower stall and one on the windowsill next to the toilet and I have a Formica board which Gigi hates on a small chain hanging over the shower head um, that has a grease pencil attached to it. I really That's what I was it. thinking of. Yeah, when when you mentioned you write on the walls the other day, Gigi said, uh, as much as I hate that Formica board, let's do that instead of writing on the walls. So, so, but here's the good news. She wouldn't go with the writing on the walls, but she therefore proved the Formica board she's been whining about for 25 years. So I win.
Hi, this is Ben Gay again. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Your Partner in Success Radio, featuring my partner in this exciting venture, podcasting expert Denise Griffiths, and me, our resident sales expert. In addition to Denise's regular popular podcasts, which are among the top-rated podcasts in the world, here I will join her at least each Wednesday to share our insights in personal development, communication skills, and professional selling. And if you're looking to improve your sales skills and personal income, be sure to check out my books in the Closers series. And if you want to learn how to create your own successful podcast, connect directly with Denise. She is the best. If you enjoyed hearing from us, be sure to check out our websites and other contact points for more resources and information. For instance, we're currently featuring my The Closers sales training series, signed, dated, with special pricing, free shipping, and our famous lifetime money-back guarantees at stores.ebay.com forward slash Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. And you may connect directly with Denise Griffiths about her products and services, all of which I wholeheartedly endorse at denisegriffiths.com. Let me spell that for you. D-E-N-I-S-E-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-T-S dot com. Again, we thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, always be closing.